talk about Eclipse, Sun and Moon, Daycare Attendant. Whatever you call him, I have one question for you. Why? Why is he here? He was randomly introduced in Security Breach, and sure, he managed to deliver one of the hardest, scariest parts of that game, but really ask yourself, what or who is this thing? In a series that doesn't do coincidences, one already full of a core band of animatronics with old and new faces, as well as deep cut returns like the Music Man, why introduce a completely random character completely disconnected from everything else? Honestly, I wasn't sure, and I didn't really talk about him in my theories for Security Breach, but it definitely bugged me in the back of my mind. And now, here he is again in Ruin, and not only is he back, he's got more collectibles than literally any other character. Four masks, two pinatas, two plushies, and two golden plushies. Which is especially strange when main characters like Roxy and Chica only have like one or two items tops. What is the deal with this thing? Well, give him a nice close-up look. And now, watch the clip of the Mimic from the end of the game. You see anything interesting? It's the teeth. The teeth are the same. Each one individually attached and able to articulate itself. Eclipse, in some way, is related to the Mimic. And knowing how old the Mimic is? Step aside there, Chica. Eclipse was the first. He has truly seen everything. Internet. Welcome to Game Theory, a show that has valid theories, no eggs required. My theory is the valid theory. Matt Pat can suck an egg. This one's for you, Mark. Last time, we started digging deep into the ruins of Security Breach's DLC, where we started to chip away at this game's mountain of mysteries. In the process, we were able to come to a few solid conclusions. First, that Princess Quest was the canon ending, meaning Vanessa was ultimately freed from the control of Glitchtrap, and everyone celebrated the victory by eating oddly symbolic ice creams on a hill. That also meant that this headless Freddy with the word prototype on his foot, it was indeed Gregory's Freddy. But perhaps the biggest twist of all was that underneath the rubble, underneath the pizza plant, and FNAF 6 hid the one and only Circus Babies Pizza World. This revelation was huge. Not only did it suggest that Circus Babies has been around since some of the earliest days of the franchise, but I think it also reveals what the true purpose of Ruin is. This game isn't about looking at the future of the franchise, instead, it's all about the past. I believe that Ruin is trying to tie up the loose ends from parts of the franchise we left forgotten. That way, we can move forward with later games. And so today, we're going to be diving into that past, because that history is going to be the key to understanding mixes, sun and moon, the truth behind Glamrock Bonnie, and even our new protagonist, Cassie. So hold on to your nearest handrail, theorists. This elevator is taking a one-way trip straight to the first floor. Or should I say we're taking a trip straight to the first lore? I, I could say that, but I probably shouldn't. That's a really terrible joke. Anyway, let's start off by talking about our new protagonist, Cassie. Even though we spend a whole game with her, we ultimately don't learn all that much about her. Basically, we learn two things. She's a fan of Roxy, and she's got some real bad luck with vents. This vent is creaky. I really hope it's... Look, no more vents. Every single time I get in one, it breaks or something jumps out at me. We also know that no one showed up for her birthday party. Have you booked your party? I'm sure your friends will show up this time. Well, no one except for Gregory, which is why she's so determined to save him. It's kind of cute. But aside from that, there's not a whole lot else about her. In fact, in an odd twist, we actually learn more about her dad than we do about her. A fast wrench. 
It's just like my dad's. And it's not just in random throwaway lines either. Thanks to the AR collectibles found throughout the game, we get a ton of information about Cassie's father. That her dad used to collect old Freddy and Friends lunchboxes. That Bonnie was his favorite character. That he refused to tell Cassie why Bonnie got replaced. And notice how every line describing him is written in the past tense, implicitly telling us that her dad is no longer around. There is a lot in here. It would be fine if she just offhandedly mentioned her dad once, but the fact that Steel Wool has put multiple references in here means that this character has to be important in some way. But how? And more importantly, why? Well, for Cassie to say that her Faz wrench is just like her dad's makes it pretty darn obvious that he not only worked for Fazbear Entertainment, but he was also a technician. Throughout the years, we've encountered a handful of technicians, mostly in the books. They're usually adjusting rides, fixing animatronics, nothing too exciting. However, there is one set of technicians that has gone long forgotten in the game series. That's right, way back in Sister Location, we got to see actual humans in this series only for them to quickly get Sayori'd out of the picture. Heck, we even got to hear these guys. It just seems like these things can't go a day without breaking down. Now, I'm not saying that Cassie's dad is one of the two men that we hear talking or see hanging, but the ending's connections to Sister Location, plus the trailer for Help Wanted 2 featuring the Sister Location elevator and an electric panel like the ones that we see throughout Ruin, it all leads me to believe that her father was one of these sorts of technicians, one of the technicians that worked as a part of Circus Baby's entertainment and rentals. In fact, I suspect that he's the one we'll be playing as in that new game, Help Wanted 2. As the trailer says, Welcome back for another week of career fulfillment and minimal social interaction. Clearly this is someone who's been down here before, and the facility in the game is working and operational. Notice the lack of yellow danger tape found at the bottom of the elevator shaft. We're going to be joining him for a few days on the job, which in turn should give us the backstory for the events that we're seeing play out during the ending of Ruin. Maybe even witnessing the moment that they had to seal up the mimic. In fact, I'll take it one step further. Now, this one is a long shot, but I suspect that he and Cassie might wind up united down there in the bunker at the end of all of this. You see, even though Cassie speaking about her father in the past tense implies that he's dead, I don't think that that's actually the case. I think he just went missing. Look at these two item descriptions. The first is for the AR Bonnie mask, which reads, What happened to you? You might interpret that to be, What happened to you, Glamrock Bonnie? But that's not true. First, this is an AR mask of the original Bonnie. It's a mask first seen in Help Wanted 1 as part of the Trick or Treat minigame. It actually far predates the Pizza Plex. But secondly, and more importantly, Cassie actually knows the truth about what happened to Glamrock Bonnie. She knows that it was Monty Gator who eliminated him from the picture. In a later item description, this time for the AR Glam Monty plush, the description reads, It's hard to look at. Why? Why would the only Monty item that Cassie can collect in the entire game be so hard to look at? Well, it's because she knows what he did. She knows that Monty's guilty, violent, responsible for trashing Glamrock Bonnie, and as a result, Cassie has a hard time looking at him the same way again. So wait, if the line, what happened to you, isn't about Glamrock Bonnie, then who is it about? Well, it's about her dad. He disappeared one day and they don't know where or why. That's why she refers to him in the past tense. But that then leads us to another question. Why is she reminded of him with that particular item? The Bonnie mask. Just because Bonnie was his favorite? No. I suspect it's because her father wore that Bonnie mask. And not only did he wear it, he wore it during the single most infamous scene in the entire franchise, The Bite of 83. Was that The Bite of 87? No, Mark. No, it wasn't. My theories are the only valid theories. 
you go lick a stick. I'm saying that Cassie's dad is the Bonnie bro. Now, that at first might seem like a stretch, but again, remember what prompts the memory of her father. An old mask of the original Bonnie. Just like Bonnie bro wore on that fateful day all those years ago. What's more, notice what's missing from all these collectibles. You have a Bonnie mask and a Foxy mask. But no Freddy? No Chica mask? It's suspicious, right? Like, why? Why would Steel Wool include such a random and more importantly, incomplete collection of memorabilia? It's clearly them trying to tell us something. That this mask is connected to the Foxy mask. The one that Michael wore during the Bite of 83. What's more, Cassie's dad is clearly established to be a massive fan of the Freddy's franchise. One of the collectibles in Ruin are these cute little Freddy and Friends lunchboxes that we're told he used to collect. Now, Freddy and Friends was a cartoon series created by Steel Wool to help promote the release of Security Breach a couple years ago. It was animated in the style of old Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Similar to things like Scooby-Doo, Yogi Bear, The Flintstones, all shows that actually started in the late 60s but remained popular throughout the 70s and the 80s. Dates that very nicely line up with Fred Bear's family diner being open. And that's not all the proof we have here. Notice how these lunchboxes have a classic metal design with a metal handle on top? They're very similar to designs that we saw popular for kids' lunchboxes that existed between the 50s and the 80s. But here's the thing, we don't even need to go as far as masks and lunchboxes and cartoons. Pull up Cassie, pull up Bonnie, bro. Can you guess where I'm going with this? Can you? Ho ho ho! If only there were a way that I could just, I don't know, just visualize the design similarities between these two characters. Oh, I know. Hey, editors, do you reckon you could whip up something for me? Maybe something that connects the red shirt, blue shorts, brown hair, maybe the darker skin tone of these two characters? Yes! Beautiful! It's like a work of art. Piece de resistance. I mean, really, what more proof do you need of this one? But that then brings us back to the question of why. Why pick Bonnie Bro, of all people? Just for the Easter egg? A random reference to a past character? I don't think that's it. For nine years now, FNAF has been the story of one family, the Aftons. This was their tale. Their lives, their mistakes, their deaths, their resurrections, all of it culminating in that FNAF 6 fire. But with the introduction of characters like Bonnie Bro as Cassie's father, we're being told that we need to widen our scope, not just focus on the Aftons, but rather to those around them. I still believe FNAF 1 through 6 is the Afton story, but this new era of FNAF, it's about how the actions of the Aftons during their story affected the people around them. The ripple effects, the collateral damage. Bonnie Bro was just a kid who grew up loving Bonnie, loved watching the show made by his best friend's dad. But when that friend, Michael Afton, roped him into a prank that went horribly wrong, he never lived it down. He went on to study robotics and become a technician so that it would never happen again. And Ruin just keeps on digging up the past, because now I want to talk about arguably the most confusing character across the entire franchise, Eclipse. In general, Sun and Moon, they just don't work. They're a court jester, which makes sense inside of a castle-themed daycare, but not in the whole 80s-tastic, futuristic pizzaplex. So where did this thing come from? Well, underneath this terrifying mask is a set of robotic teeth. And those aren't just any teeth, they're made to move independently. Now, that might not seem like that important of a design feature, but believe me, it is. There's only one other character with teeth like that, and it's the Mimic. Now take another look at Eclipse's design. It's a scrawny design with arms and torso that are basically just long metal rods with springs wrapped around them. And when you take a look at the back of the head, you'll see a circuit board just there, out in the open. The design feels simple, rudimentary, very bare bones. Just like the Mimic, who's made up of old parts from industrial machines. Two animatronics made from the same basic shapes and parts. Now, am I saying that Eclipse is a mimic? No. But what I am saying is that these animatronics seem to come from the same time period. A time period that predates practically everything that
that we've seen in this franchise. How early are we talking about here? Well, for the answer, again, I turn your attention to the AR collectibles. While playing through the game, I just couldn't shake how random the collection was. I've talked about this before. A Foxy and Bonnie mask partnered with a Sun and Moon mask. Where's Freddy and Chica? A similar thing happens with the Golden plushies. You got Sun, Moon, Foxy, Bonnie, Baby, and Glamrock Freddy. It's a weird assortment, but again, there's no Chica. Or you got the pinatas. There's just three of them. Sun, Moon, and Bonnie. Not labeled Glamrock Bonnie, just Bonnie. It's almost like the game is trying to tell us something with all these random groupings and which animatronics are present where. And I suspect that what we're actually seeing here are the eras of the franchise and the key players that existed in each one. And the one who came first, Sun and Moon. You'll notice that of all the collectibles, there are two that are visibly unique relative to all the others. A collection of two masks that stand out from the rest. The comedy mask and the tragedy mask. They have no eye or mouth holes. They're not even colored. And the fact that they're labeled comedy and tragedy and not sun and moon tells us that these weren't just any masks. They were old theater masks. You're probably familiar with these things. The laughing and crying masks. Well, you see, the tradition of theater masks actually originates in ancient Greek theater. The first plays evolved from rituals that involved masks. So it was natural for actors to wear masks that represented these heightened emotions that their characters were feeling. And while I don't think that sun and moon date back nearly that far, I do suspect that these masks were actually Afton's first creations. For years, we've been left to speculate about a time that came before Fredbear's Family Diner. And I did my best in the ultimate timeline to piece together a plausible narrative for what would bring Afton to create Fazbear based on the evidence that we had available. But I think that these air collectibles are Steel Wool's way of telling us that journey. Look at the evolution that's present here. Comedy and tragedy masks. They're the first. They're part of some theater or vaudeville-style sideshow. Then you go to Sun, Moon, and Bonnie Pinatas. A third new character gets added into the mix. Afton's character, the bunny. Then there are four masks. Still Sun and Moon, then Bonnie, and then Foxy. There's no Freddy or Chica because they're not here yet. They didn't join the band, as it were, until William and Henry started working together. It's then, and only then, when Henry brings his barnyard animals to the table. Chica, Pigpatch, Happy Frog, that we see the Lunchbox crew develop. The core four that we've known and loved since FNAF 1. And then the air plushies are just everyone who's currently relevant inside of the Pizzaplex, i.e. every character that's been created. As for the golden plushies, I'm not quite sure what they're meant to be. That one remains to be seen. Regardless, that progression of character development would explain why Afton's solo adventure after the closure of Freddy's was circus-themed. He's had himself a jester and jester-adjacent characters for years. Though, I would like to point out very strongly that a jester and circuses are not one and the same thing. A clown is not a jester, and a jester is not a clown who works at a circus. A jester is someone who entertains royalty, a king and a queen. He does not work under a big top coming out of a small car. And don't even get me started on the fact that everyone's teasing this new game, Carnival Theme. Which again, carnivals are not circuses, and circuses are not jesters. You're all just trying to retroactively fit them into these themes where they don't technically go. Which, honestly, probably tells you more about the lore than you would expect. It's actually kind of smart world building. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a little sidetracked there. Anyway, we know thanks to the Tales from the Pizzaplex that a jester costume was present all the way back when the original Mimic was made. Quote, Dominic's flashlight glow picked out a brown Freddy Fazbear costume, a yellow Chica costume, a Foxy costume, a Bonnie costume, and a couple bright pink and yellow green court jester costumes. And it's clear that the jester idea persisted throughout all of Afton's plans, because in the epilogues of the Tales from the Pizzaplex book, we also read this. Quote again, As soon as Lucia's hand slipped into the jester costume sleeve, she recoiled and snatched her hand back. What is it? Kelly asked. It's okay. I just almost got into a springlock suit is all. The jester costume developed from just a normal costume into a springlock suit. Suits, which were definitely used in Circus Baby's Pizza World. Try not to wiggle, though. 
You're inside something that came from my old pizzeria. I don't think it was ever used. I'd recommend that you keep the spring locks wound up. The spring lock suit in the epilogue also has a mask that matches up almost perfectly with our daycare attendant. One final quote. Lucia stepped up to the costume, suppressing a shiver at the jester's leering, toothy grin and its wide eyes. And the best part is, thanks to the mimic, I think I can pinpoint exactly when Circus Babies started and eventually fell through. I decided to look a little deeper into the room just before the mimic chase. It's an old room, filled with shattered security nodes, propane tanks, and the mix hub, all connected to a computer which we can use to free the Mimic. Now, the majority of people have been assuming that Mixes is Gregory's doing. His backpack is down there after all, and the Mimic has his walkie-talkie, but something just didn't add up to me. The computer controlling the Mixes server is way, way older than any of the other technology that we see throughout the Pizzaplex. We've got camera galleries, modern office spaces, even portable security camera viewing stations, but this super important system for keeping the killer robot under lock and key is using only an old CRT monitor? Yeah, no, that doesn't feel right to me. And this computer isn't just any computer, its design matches those from the 1980s. Specifically, it reminds me of the IBM PCJR, computers that were released in, get this, 1984. Mixes has been around for a long time, trying to keep the mimic locked away, but why? Well, I think I have an answer to that, an answer that also gives us an explanation for why Mixes shows itself as a blue rabbit. See, I don't think Afton only copied physical characteristics from the mimic to make animatronics like Eclipse. I think he also took its software to speed up his creation process. I think that this was one of the ways he was able to populate Circus Baby's pizza world with the Funtime animatronics. As John from the channel FNAF has been quick to point out time and time again, almost all of the Funtimes have themselves a very specific function. They have the ability to mimic voices. Just like John, I too believe that Afton got that functionality from the mimic program itself. After the tragic death of his son during the bite of 1983, Afton needed a backup plan, something that he could build fast, just in case the Fazbear name was permanently tarnished. So he went back to the mimic program and made a copy of its software, transferring it into his newest creations, hoping that they would be able to learn routines much faster. He could then give them stomach hatches and other features to help him capture kids, all to forward his experiments in bringing his son back to life. Everything looked like it was going according to plan, but sadly, we know what happened. His daughter got too close to one of his traps and was killed. Afton was obviously devastated by this and shut the whole thing down. The mimic program had failed spectacularly. He sealed up the old location with concrete and as a safety measure, he created a new program that would keep the Mimic locked away permanently. A system wrapped in his signature purple, guarded by the one creature that he could trust, the Rabbit Bonnie. And so Mixes was born. That then gives us two separate Mimics, one inside Baby and the Fun Times, ready to be collected by Fazbear Entertainment and used to create VR experiences, and the other still trapped down in the basement. This would actually go a long way to explain a weird moment from the middle of Ruin, where Helpy and the Mimic argue with one another. What, what happened to it? They're both Mimic AI, so what exactly is going on here? Well, it's two versions of the same program finally in the same place after so long. Helpy is the Mimic program in the network, while the Mimic talking to Cassie is the physical Mimic down in the basement. It's possible, it's confusing, and I suspect it might just be right. Guess all in a day's work for FNAF lore, am I right? But hey, that's just a theory. A GAME THEORY! Thanks for watching.